Hi everyone, welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. On today's episode, I had the great privilege and honor of speaking with Keegan Randall. She is a cross-country skier, a five-time Olympian, and Olympic and world champion. She is a lifelong athlete, a mother, a wife, a marathoner. She is also a breast cancer survivor. On today's episode, we talk about her story, her journey, how she handled her breast cancer treatment using the skills that she already had as an athlete and Olympian. We talk a lot about the importance of mindset, about exercise during cancer treatment and beyond, some of the amazing work that she has been doing to support cancer patients, and what's next for her in the future. She's truly a remarkable woman, and this episode was wonderful and inspirational. Uh, And at the very least, I hope that it inspires you to get out and move today. So let's get right to it. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. So welcome, Kihan. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. So let's start by just talking about who you are, what you do, and then we'll get into your cancer diagnosis. Yeah, well, I think the, the best way to describe me is an athlete at heart. Um, from my earliest memories, I have loved being physically active, being outside. Uh, I grew up in Alaska, so a lot of time was spent in the, in the snow um, and in the mountains up in Alaska with my family. And uh, kind of through all those experiences, I, I got inspired to be an Olympian someday. And uh, that led me to ultimately choose cross-country skiing uh, while in, when I was in high school because I was intrigued by the fact that no American woman had ever won an Olympic medal. And to me, it just seemed like this exciting frontier. And I also love that cross-country skiing was kind of this combination of, of activity where I got to go hard on the uphills, um, you know, really see that effort pay off, still get the exhilaration of the downhills. There was a bit of team. So that pulled me into the sport. And I ended up going to my first Olympics at 19 years old in Salt Lake City. And from there, um, really got inspired to, to truly go after that medal, even though uh, no American woman had really um, been able to break that barrier. And uh, that led me on a 16-year journey from there that took me through uh, four more Olympics. And ultimately, in my last Olympics, I got to win an Olympic gold medal with my teammate, Jesse Diggins, in the team sprint. And uh, so I've had an amazing career as a professional athlete. Um, between my fourth and fifth Olympics, uh, I knew I wanted to start a family, but I wasn't ready to be done competing. So I was able to combine the two and uh, did my last Olympics as a mom. I have a little son, Breck, who's amazing. And um, coming off my Olympic ski career, um, I've always loved sharing all the experiences and kind of tools I learned to be a successful athlete and helping apply those to 
everyday life and helping people succeed or get through challenge. So I had just started to contemplate a, uh, a public speaking career when uh, I found out I had breast cancer. And uh, that came about three months after winning that Olympic gold medal. And um, that set me on a path I definitely didn't see coming, but in a lot of ways has kind of opened up more opportunity to connect with people uh, and impact in what I do as a speaker. And I think um, has, has brought a lot of good things to my life. What a whirlwind that must have been after your last Olympics, trying to figure, I mean, you're this high, I'm sure, I can't even imagine. And then to get diagnosed, was, were you diagnosed on a routine mammogram? Did you feel a lump? What was that whole process like? Um, well, you said it well, I was on a high. Um, when I finished my career, um, we had packed up all of our belongings and moved from Alaska down to British Columbia. And we had literally just gotten to town and it was Mother's Day, uh, middle of May. And my husband and son and I had gone out for this beautiful hike that day. And I just remembered feeling like so happy. Just, I'd achieved this big goal in skiing. We were starting this new chapter of our life. We had a, you know, a young son and we were excited to expand in our family. And then literally getting ready for bed that night, I just happened to brush past my right breast and noticed that I felt a hard spot. And I kind of like was like, oh man, I, you know, I don't remember feeling that before. And it was like the size of a pea. And I immediately kind of had this like sinking feeling about it. And uh, so it bothered me that it was Sunday night and I couldn't do anything about it. So right away the next day, um, uh, I marched into the hospital to the mammogram department and uh, they kindly let me know I needed to be referred. So that led me to a walk-in clinic because we'd so new to town, I didn't have a doctor yet. So I went and saw a primary care physician and um, he was looking at me going, you know, I, you know, you're young and healthy, I'm sure it's nothing, but let's get a follow-up scan. And once we did the mammogram and ultrasound, um, that prompted the biopsy and that's when we learned it was actually aggressive breast cancer. Do you have a family history of cancer? I don't, like not at all, like no cancer of any kind, really. And what made you, I mean, a lot of, you know, women um, in their 30s, right? You were in your, in your 30s when you were diagnosed um, without a family history kind of may say, well, maybe a cyst, it may be related to my period. You know, what made you really take action? And is that that athlete mentality? Like what made you say, all right, you know, there's, this can't wait. Well, I was fortunate growing up in Anchorage, Alaska. We have a um, one of the biggest running events in the whole state every year is the Alaska Run for Women. And it's all about breast cancer, um, raising money for breast cancer research, but really a lot about education and awareness. So I think because I'd grown up around that event, like, you know, competing as an athlete, but hearing the stories and, and constantly hearing that mantra of, if you find something, get it checked. Um, I, I certainly had that in the back of my mind. Um, and then being an athlete and kind of knowing my body, I just, um, I kind of went that, that just doesn't feel right. And I would just rather have the peace of mind of getting it checked. And, and for, for the couple of weeks it took to actually diagnose it, I, I convinced myself it was nothing, but I also now realize how easy it would have been to say, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing. I feel fine. I mean, I feel like incredible shape. Um, but thank goodness that I, I, listen to that intuition and when you got it checked. And what happened after the mammogram, you know, and the diagnosis and being told, okay, you have breast cancer. What was your treatment like? The challenging part was we had just moved to Canada and I didn't qualify for the healthcare here. Um, so I could have done treatment in, in my hometown here, but 
it would have been um, financially um, unreachable. So um, thankfully, I still had my health coverage through the U.S. Olympic Committee. So I, you know, first step was, uh, you know, go in and, and, you know, talk to my doctors and, and it was diagnosed as um, stage two, um, HER2 positive, um, ERPR positive breast cancer. Um, we ended up finding a, a lymph node in my armpit that was um, about the P, size of a P as well. Once we got kind of the full information about the type of cancer, um, it was kind of pretty clear that I was going to need, um, there was a strong suggestion that I would do chemotherapy. Um, it didn't seem like there was really a way around that. Mm -hmm. um, and so um, we decided to do the chemotherapy up front so that we could kind of see what the reaction was um, to, to the tumor and the treatment. So I had chemotherapy set up first. Um, then I had a few months to decide what I wanted to do for my surgical option. Um, you know, we talked about a double mastectomy, but we also, you know, thought that if the treatment was the chemo looked effective, then I might be a good candidate for a lumpectomy because my tumor still was in that, that range. Um, and then it was pretty clear that because I was young and, and I had an aggressive form of that, that radiation was going to be uh, um, important as well. So I, I got in touch with, um, you know, some doctors in Alaska that I knew and set up treatment and I just ended up con, um, commuting back and forth. Um, the actual, now that I think about it, the first step though, was I want, you know, I want to have more children someday. And, um, and I knew I had a short window of time to do something to set up possibilities for myself. So I got in touch with Seattle Reproductive Medicine um, and they helped me go through a round of IVF so that I could um, get some eggs. And we ultimately actually made it, made embryos. I only ended up one with one at the end of the process. But, you know, that gave me just that little bit of hope that once I got through all the treatment that I would potentially be able to still have children, more children someday. It's a really hard decision for people to make because we ask people to, you know, you get diagnosed and we say, all right, well, you need to decide what to do. And can you decide, you know, in the next few days? Um, and that's really, really stressful for, for women to do. What was chemotherapy like for you? And, Obviously, it is hard and it is physically and emotionally challenging. And how did you reconcile that with what your body was doing, you know, months before? And, and how did you use that to get through chemotherapy? Well, I would say, you know, like within the first, um, you know, half an hour of getting the news, like I certainly went through the whole range of emotions of just disbelief and frustration. But pretty quickly, my athlete frame of mind kind of kicked in and went, okay, this, this is my new challenge. Just like going after that gold medal, you know, I just have to kind of take this big, scary thing and I have to break it down um, into what, it, what is the plan? You know, who's the team around me that's going to help me? And, uh, and so when it was clear that chemotherapy was that first, um, first step, um, I, you know, I was told I was going to need to do six rounds spread out over uh, three weeks apart. Um, so I just tried to look at it almost like a training block of, okay, I'm going to have these three week stints. I don't know how I'm going to feel, but I'm just going to kind of approach one at a time, um, try to learn from round to round. So I went into it just kind of with an open mind. I made a, a commit, commitment to myself that I wanted to stay active through my treatment because I knew that staying active had, had helped me through some other health challenges it helped me, it always helps me stay positive. And I think it's what my body is used to. So not knowing how physically I would feel once the treatment set in, 
I just, I made a super mellow commitment to myself that I would try to do 10 minutes of activity each day. So that I was kind of making that decision ahead of time. So that if I, there was a day where I was feeling bad, it was like that 10 minutes would get me out there. If at the end of 10 minutes I felt terrible, well, I could always turn around. But oftentimes just that 10 minutes to get me out the door turned into like longer and I was really glad I did it. I went into that first round. Um, I actually rode my, I rode my bike to the hospital. I stopped at um, the local gym on the way and I did a really hard workout because I knew I, knew I was going to feel good. And, and after that, I didn't know. So I got the workout in so that I could sit in the chemo chair for that first infusion was seven hours and just like feel kind of like good that I'd already done something that day. At the end of seven hours, I, I still felt okay. You know, probably the steroids at work, mm -hmm. um, hopped back on my bike, rode home. And I was kind of like, okay, uh, first round is, is, in, is in progress. And I would say I felt, felt pretty decent for the first day or two after. And then by day three is when I started to feel like, you know, the upset stomach and almost like flu-like symptoms. Um, and that lasted for a few days. And then by the start of the second week, I actually started to feel okay again. And so I just kind of listened to my body and on days when I felt good, I would continue to exercise and I continue to, to work. And, um, I think I fared fairly well that, um, I felt pretty good physically through that. Um, I was able to do strength training. I was able to do some interval training and, uh, there were, there was my second round. I caught a, a cold from my son because he had just started daycare and, um, that knocked me down pretty hard. Um, I got pretty sick. Um, almost, almost had my white blood cell count go low enough that I was, you know, starting to maybe affect my next round of chemo, but luckily it came back up. So that one was a bit humbling because I, as an athlete, I've always had a really strong immune system and I needed to learn to respect the fact that chemo was going to, you know, take my immune system down to a lower level and I needed to be really careful. So from there, I just kind of reflexively went back to all my athlete tendencies of like religiously washing my hands and, you know, wearing masks out in public and, you know, doing my best to protect my health and uh, didn't know I was preparing myself for a pandemic, uh, you know, a year or so say. later, but, yes. <laughs> um, times. but uh, so that was, that was interesting. Um, but I think once I took those precautions, um, I, I didn't get um, any more illnesses to the rest of my chemo. So that was pretty lucky. What was it like having a young toddler while going through chemotherapy? I mean, I think it was the best thing in the world because um, there was no question in my mind that I wasn't going to do anything I needed to do mm -hmm. to give myself the best chance to be around for him. Um, and he was two years old at the time. So, you know, he was kind of oblivious to what was going on. Um, he was just happy-go-lucky. And even when I lost my hair, which I was concerned might, you know, upset him, he just thought it was funny to rub my head and, mm -hmm. you know, he'd point at mannequins in the window and go, Oh, there's mommy, you know? And <laughs> so, um, you know, I think his just innocence and just being able to, you know, really enjoy every moment with him was great. And, um, I was lucky. My husband was super supportive. So, you know, it was, um, it was totally fine to manage. Um, my son had just started daycare. So, um, I had the day times to kind of like recover and, mm -hmm. uh, I would I never got, so sick that I couldn't still be mom. And that was something I was really, really grateful for. No, that's the most important thing. I mean, kids are so resilient. I get asked all the time, well, you know, how will my kids react or, you know, what will they think? And that what I tell them is what you just said, as long as your mom 
the, the rest doesn't matter. You know, they're just happy you're there with them. All they need is the hugs and the cuddles and, and all of that. Yeah. And, and you, you equally get all that back from mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Too, so. You know, so you were living this really, really healthy lifestyle. And one of the things that we talk about a lot when we talk about breast cancer risk reduction is exercise and eating healthy and being at a healthy weight. And, you know, I, I think all of those things are, you know, the most important, but at the same time, you know, when you're already doing all these things and you hear all that in the news and then you get diagnosed with breast cancer, how did you feel? That was certainly part of the frustration when I got the news was just like, this is not fair. <laughs> you know, I, I've done all the right things. I've taken care of myself. And, and I think too, just having finished my ski career where I felt like I had to be so disciplined you know, I was kind of looking forward to this period where I could kind of just relax a little bit. I, I knew I'd still keep, you know, training all the time. I knew I would still want to eat healthy and do that, but just with a little less structure, you know, and here I was like, you know, having to be right back into caring about that. So as I let, as I processed that frustration, I kind of came back and said, you know what, it didn't save me from getting cancer. But as I went through the treatment, I realized because of all those healthy habits, it set me up to be able to handle the treatment so, so much better. I mean, I really, I really didn't have that many awful days um, where I just couldn't, you know, couldn't get up. So I think being strong going into it, um, already kind of having those healthy habits in place. um, And then now just like cancer was that extra reminder that once an athlete, always an athlete, like those, those things um, are now central to my life, um, regardless of whether or not I'm trying to be the best skier in the world, like exercise, eating right, taking good care of your body. Um, it, it, it's just, it's so critical. It's so important. And, and I'm just glad that I've developed those habits over my lifetime. And when you say eating healthy and eating right, we all want to know what is your diet like? What is it? What does it entail? Well, I mean, I'll admit I'm, I'm definitely not perfect. And, um, uh, I had to learn through my ski career, how to really optimize my nutrition. Um, and to me, I've always wanted a healthy relationship with food where I see it as, as fuel for the things I want to do. I see it as something I really enjoy and look forward to. Um, and so the Olympic rings have five colors and I've always kind of felt like that's a, a representation for how I should try to eat. You know, I, a lot of getting a lot of color in my diet, a lot of um, fruits and vegetables is really important. Um, growing up in Alaska, I was super lucky to have like some really good protein sources like wild Alaskan salmon and moose meat and things that are like really good protein, but kind of lean. And um, so I like, I like things kind of in their purest form. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will admit that I am a total donut freak. <laughs> I love donuts. I have used that as ways to motivate myself through incredibly tough workouts. Um, so, you know, I try to eat healthy most of the time and I try to exercise so that I can enjoy those donuts and some of those treats. And um, yeah, now that I've transitioned from, you know, the athlete focus to just living a healthy lifestyle, um, I'm trying to kind of stay true to that. Just a lot of good, wholesome foods in my diet, um, things that fuel the act fuel the activities I want to do, um, maintain the health, but also make it an enjoyable process. And everything in moderation. That's where we talk about all the time that you, 
you know, it's that 80-20 model, 80% you're eating the whole foods, limiting processed food, and then the other 20% you can enjoy. And that way you do have that healthy relationship and you don't feel like you're restricting. What happened? So you went through chemotherapy, surgery, radiation, and what happened kind of after that point? Um, well, it's really interesting. You finished that last day of radiation and you've been like for 10 months. So I was kind of like treatment, treatment, treatment. And then all of a sudden it's like, woohoo, I'm done. Um, and for me, I had, you know, coming off of a gold medal, I've, I had to put a lot of things on hold. So it's like when I finished radiation, it was like, okay, I, I can start doing those things again. So for me, I just, um, I signed up for my first 50 K ski race which was about three weeks after I finished radiation. Um, that was something fun where I could like rejoin my community. Uh, I didn't have a ton of expectations for how I would perform necessarily. I thought, you know, 50 K that's, that's just going to be a good physical challenge. Um, turns out, you know, I had been able to stay active through my treatment and in particular through radiation, I actually felt really good. And I was in Alaska, so I skied a lot. So the 50K ski race actually went pretty well. Um, and it was just, it was just like amazing to be out there. I also knew um, I had wanted to run the New York City Marathon in the fall of 2018, um, right after retiring. That was a few days after my last round of chemo. I actually entertained the idea of trying to do it still <laughs> when I was going through chemo and then realized that while it was physically possible, it probably wasn't the smartest thing to you know, push my body like that when it was already dealing with so much. So I decided, okay, a year from now, I'm going to come back and I'm going to run the New York marathon in November of 2019. And, you know, I'm motivated by goals. So I looked at my 5k time and I said, ah, I think I'll try to run the marathon under three hours. And then started to do the math and realized that like running that pace for three miles is one thing, but running it for 26 back to back to back is actually really hard. So I contacted my high school running coach and I said, okay, I want to run this marathon. I want to try to run it in three hours, you know, help me build a plan. And we built this eight month training plan, which was, was very like, you know, took a lot of patience, but we just gradually like built up my mileage and I had some tough workouts, but being out there, it's like, I just was so excited that I, that I got to be doing it, that I felt halfway decent, that I just felt like I kind of didn't have mediocre days anymore. And the training kicked my butt, like running like that, just pounded my legs. And, but it was so cool to like have a goal and to work up towards it. And when I got to New York in last fall, um, two of my teammates um, who had retired from skiing opted to join me and we ran the whole race together. We ran the second half faster than the first and I ended up running it in 255. Yeah. And it was just like the most incredible reward for all that I'd been through. And for like, you know, proving to myself that I could build my way back and uh, crossing that finish line was pretty special. That's incredible. I mean, there's 50,000 people that do the race and, and internationally ranked runners that come and do it. So I felt like I was running with the masses, but, um, you know, to hit, hit that goal. And um, yeah, and then ever since I've learned that three hours is a pretty respectable marathon time. Um, so, little, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I can ever run another marathon because that first one kind of went so well. So it's like, you know, maybe we'll just leave that be, <laughs> but uh, yeah, pretty cool experience. You know, we know that chemotherapy and cancer treatment really affects cardiorespiratory fitness. So when you started, you finished chemo and you really started to push your body again, did you notice any difference in what you felt like you were able to do it immediately after treatment? 
I, I didn't feel really any effect or any decline, um, mm -hmm. to be honest. Um, I mean, no matter what I did, cancer or not, I was never going to quite be in the shape that I was finishing my ski career. So I was kind of already, you know, kind of ready for that. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe just the, setting that expectation was, was part of being helpful. But like I said, I, I was able to continue exercising a lot through my treatment. Um, I think what I did really maintained so that when my treatment was done and I could build back up, things came back pretty quick. Mm -hmm. I mean, I really feel like I can, can push myself as hard as I ever have and, and don't notice any effects from it. That's wonderful. And we, I think certainly staying active during treatment had a huge, huge role in that. What advice would you have for someone who, you know, is, is not an Olympian, is not an endurance athlete, but wants to start? You know, they finish their, they're going through cancer treatment and they really want to start moving your body. I like the 10 minute rule. I like the getting out and doing something for 10 minutes, but any advice, both physically and kind of mindset wise that you would have for people? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I always see it as, you know, um, what level you're coming from and where, and where you want to go. And so I think what's cool is that applies to anybody. Um, I, you know, I went from the Olympics to running a three hour marathon and people are like, oh my God, that's crazy. Well, yeah, but if you look at it in the respect of where I was coming from, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's, it's all relative. So my advice to people is to, to create a plan. So you have a little bit of a predetermined roadmap of where you're trying to go. And for me, you know, picking that race in November was really helpful because that was a kind of a destination I was working towards. And then I worked with my coach to build a plan all the way back to April so that I could see that I wasn't trying to run 23 miles for my long run right off the bat. Mm -hmm. I was literally starting off with five miles. And then each week I was just going to add a little bit and a little bit. And I remember in the beginning, I felt like really anxious, like and impatient, like, come on, come on, I can do more than this. I, you know, I want to build up, I want to do faster. But we purposely built in kind of the, those, that first like three, four weeks, almost ridiculously easy. And to give my body the chance to adapt and start to kind of build. And what was so cool is for the first three weeks, I was just kind of like, oh my gosh, this is, this is, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making any progress. And then all of a sudden I hit like that three or four week mark. And I started to notice that I felt stronger running you know, and then all of a sudden I could run for an hour and it was no big deal. And so, um, setting up those steps that kind of build and giving yourself, um, that patience, I think is really important. I think a lot of people are motivated right out of the gate, man. They just, they want to get to that goal, but they take bite off a little bit more than their body is ready for. And that just sets you up for like, you know, physical discomfort, but the mental discomfort of like feeling like a failure and instead set yourself up for those little successes. You know, that's setting myself up for 10 minutes a day. If I got out and I did 10 minutes, that was a success. Mm -hmm. If I ultimately went on to do four hours, awesome bonus. But that 10 minutes was a win. And I think we often, um, we set ourselves up for too much. So little successes, having that roadmap to kind of show you where you're going and, and already kind of say like, I'm not going to judge myself, you know, until I get to these like a benchmark way in the future. And if I do what I'm, asking myself each day and I get to the benchmark, you know, I'm, I'm going to be successful. I'm going to be on track. So I, I think that's really, really important. And, you know, if you do get into the process and uh, it gets hard and it's, you know, it's not working, well then be willing to kind of take a step back and go, okay, what, what, what can I change? You know, if, uh, if running doesn't feel good and it doesn't for all people, well, maybe I'll try biking 
or I'll try skiing or swimming or, you know, there's lots of different ways to kind of hit at the same thing mm -hmm. and, um, and be open-minded and, and just know that like being able to come back from cancer is like, it's such a gift. You know, you, as if, when you've gone through cancer, you know what it feels like to be at the bottom. And so every step as you work your way back up is amazing because you don't feel like that anymore and you can just feel better and better. I love that. I think setting expectations and really kind of taking a step back and saying, wow, this is where I was six months ago, a year ago, and, and this is where I am now. And just being proud of yourself that you have recovered from that really hard, dark, you know, time in life. Yeah. Has cancer, you know, would you say kind of fit into this like one, two year, you know, box in your life or has it really impacted what you've done going forward? A bit of both. Um, I mean, I sometimes pinch myself now because I'm, you know, almost two years kind of post and I go, wow, I, I really went through that. You know, it's like my hair has grown back and I get busy with my day-to-day -day life and I feel good. And it's like, I almost forget it happened. But at the same time, like having gone through that experience, you know, I'm still on hormone therapy. So I'm still, I still have a daily reminder that I have actually been through it. And I know it's one of those things that it's not like, okay, a broken bone and it's healed and I don't have to think about it anymore. Like, you know, it's always going to be something that's I have to have in my consciousness. Um, you know, it could always come back and, and that kind of thing. So I try to take, take the good things that came from it. The reminder of, you don't know how much time you have. So what are you doing every day to make it count? Are you doing the things that you enjoy? Are you spending the time with the people that count, you know, with, with my son, um, he's four years old, you know, he, he's in this thing now where he likes to go, mom, mom. And, you know, I can let that like get my hair up in the back of my neck or I can be like, you know what, you know, this is the joy of a four-year-old. And, you know, I just, I feel like it's given me the gift of a, a, a gratitude for, you know, every day and, um, and being a little more intentional about what I spend my time on. And, and like I said, I don't, I don't have mediocre days anymore. Like when I go out and, and exercise, if I don't feel right or, it's like, yeah, but I'm out here and, mm. and I get to do this. And I've, you know, I've met so many people through the shared experience of cancer, you know, some of which have become awesome friends and we've all kind of made it through and we're in the, in the remission phase now. But I've also known some people who have not had, you know, the same outcomes that I have and, and have done all the right things, you know, use the positive mindset, done the activity. And so I feel like an honor kind of, of, of what, either they've gone through or what they're going through, you know, also trying to just bring that intention and gratitude to every day. I love it. You've been involved in an organization called Active Against Cancer. Yes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that? Because its mission is really fantastic. Yeah. So Active Against Cancer is um, all about trying to integrate physical activity into treatment, like as, a, as, an, as an integral part of, of cancer treatment. And it was co-founded by Greta Waits, who was um, the nine-time winner of the New York City Marathon, phenomenal female um, distance runner from Norway, um, got cancer in her 50s, and realized as she was going down all her treatments that no one was talking about exercise and no one was talking about what she could do. And so she kept running through her treatment and found it was so powerful physically, mentally, emotionally. So they founded um, Active Against Cancer, which is actually called Active Motkraft in Norway, and started um, engaging researchers, um, talking to hospitals about getting exercise programs going. 
And so cross-country skiing, being a big sport in Norway, the World Cup would go there every year. And as I started to get better results, I became kind of a celebrity in Norway. And so I got recruited to come to one of their events one year. Um, and once I learned about their mission, I just fell in love with it because even though I had no personal experience with cancer, I knew that physical activity is, or I believe the physical activity is the foundation for everything. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I think it's something we've got to put, it's just got to be in our day because it helps us in so many ways. So I started getting involved and every year I'd come to Norway, my teammates and I would do a workout with the patients at the exercise oncology room in the hospital there. And this was the most incredible group of people who are going through horrendous treatment um, protocols and yet had the best spirit and they had the camaraderie of getting coming to this exercise room and working out together and using physical activity. So I was always inspired by them, by the organization. And because of Greta's tie to the New York City Marathon, that was what inspired my goal to run the New York Marathon in 2018. So a couple of weeks before I got my diagnosis, the, the uh, other co-founder of Active contacted me and said, hey, you know, lead up to the marathon. We want to have you at our annual awards luncheon. We want to give you the inspiration award for the work you've done with Active. And I said, wow, geez, I don't feel like I deserve that, you know, but I'd love to come to the luncheon and support. And then a couple of weeks later, when I got my cancer diagnosis, I had to call her back and say, well, you won't believe this, but my connection just got a lot deeper. And so I credit having kind of already interfaced with Active for knowing that physical activity was going to be something very important to my own cancer treatment. And so that also kind of inspired me to, to make that commitment up front. And I will tell you now that I've lived through it, I, I believe in the mission of active more than ever, because I, I really saw how important that daily dose of physical activity was to, to me handling the treatment. Um, and so now to be able to go out and be an advocate for for active, both in terms of what they're promoting, but also kind of rallying people around that idea. It's been a really cool way for me to, to, to give back and, and connect off of that experience. That's wonderful. And I think, you know, obviously your firsthand experience just lends so much more meaning to your words and your actions as part of the organization. What's next for you? <laughs> that's a that's a great question. Uh, I feel like a lot in life has happened in a really short period. Um, I uh, right now I'm I'm in that kind of fun phase of of really trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, and um, uh, I've I've got the opportunity amazing opportunities coming from about a million different directions, um, and it's really been a bit of a self discovery process. But I um, I love. Pre-COVID, I was out on, on the speaking tour quite a bit, and that was really fun to be able to talk not only to my Olympic experience, but then the cancer experience and really kind of um, what's evolved from that is like these three really clear like tools that I've used in multiple parts of my life that I can help empower other people with. Um, so I've been enjoying the speaking. Um, I'm back in school to finish my undergraduate degree in business. Um, I'm kind of excited about a career in accounting of all things. Um, I'm on the International Olympic Committee um, and the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee Board and the U.S. Ski Team Board. So I'm doing a lot of kind of athlete leadership advocacy type work. Um, I actually um, am on a board for a or new organization called Teamwork that is pairing up with Active Against Cancer 
And the whole idea between behind teamwork is actually taking all the professional elite and elite athletes who have been through cancer and pairing them with um, cancer patients currently going through their treatment, whether it's, you know, young youth um, going through treatment or, or adults, but anyone who's kind of like could use that little dose of athlete inspiration. Um, and so that's a fun new project that we're getting off the ground. And so um, I'm constantly running around like a chicken with my head cut off, um, doing all these different projects that I believe in. Um, and then most importantly, trying to make sure that I prioritize like time with my son and, and time to exercise every day. Because fitting all that in in one day is really hard. <laughs> oh, it's a lot. It is. It is a lot. I love everything you're doing, and especially the teamwork project. Because what a wonderful, wonderful idea. We've actually in my hospital we're starting a clinical trial, um, which is looking at supervised exercise during chemotherapy. So this was all designed pre-COVID, and obviously we can't do supervised exercise right now. But we're doing it virtually. And with, again, the idea that asking people to move their body, you know, every day will really help them get through chemo, but not only physically will improve their quality of life as well. Oh yeah. And they'll, and they'll have a team uh, behind them, you know, like having, having a coach, having an advocate, having, having some accountability, um, I think is huge mm -hmm. um, to support patients going through that. So it's really awesome to hear. Yeah. And a community as well, right? You know that you're not alone in that. So many people who are diagnosed in their thirties and forties. I mean, sadly, this is changing, but it used to be that you didn't know anybody who was also going through it. And now I think with social media and, the, you know, all of the online communities, that's changing. But you may still be the only person in your kind of immediate social circle that was diagnosed in their 30s. And yeah. the issues with fertility and parenting and marriage are completely different than if you were diagnosed, you know, a decade or two later in your life. Totally, totally. Is there anything that you want to share that we didn't get a chance to touch on? I'm so glad you said that because um, one major thing that I've left out of all this is um, a little inspiration that I found through my cancer treatment was um, these rainbow colored running shoes that Instagram had tricked me into buying at one point. <laughs> and um, when I started going into all my appointments, I wore my rainbow colored running shoes to remind myself to stay hopeful and to stay positive in the midst of all this crazy stuff I was hearing. And so I'm wearing these shoes. It's helping me, my like providers are smiling when they see the saw or the, the shoes. And so my husband came up with the idea of why don't we come out with some inspirational socks that could provide this same kind of hope and positivity to other people going through treatment. And as we sell the socks, we will donate part of the proceeds back to active against cancer. Amazing. So we, we launched the socks in October of 2018 when I was right in the middle of chemo. Um, we sell them through my website on shop.keekin.com. And um, to date, we've sold over 10,000 pairs of socks. Um, we've donated almost $20,000 to Active Against Cancer. Um, the idea has spawned into a couple other products as well. We have headbands, we have some tote bags and things. And the logo on the socks and on all the stuff is, it's going to be okay. Cause that was something we found ourselves saying over and over. So my brother who's a graphic designer came up with a logo for us. The K and the okay is the K for my signature. Um, and this has turned into a really cool little enterprise where we can, you know, help provide inspiration um, to people going through any number of challenges. You know, they're kind of perfect right now for 
for uh, the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, great stocking stuffers, by the way. And um, it all goes to support active. So um, that's been uh, what started like just kind of a fun, cool project has now turned into um, kind of a cool little business. That's amazing. I'm going to buy some because who doesn't love socks? Um, and it's just yeah. a great and the socks are made by Darn Tough out of Vermont. So they're like really nice socks. They're they went through a couple renditions where I was like, nope, happier, more color. So they're really bright and happy. Um, and uh, we've heard some pretty cool stories. Um, my I'll surgeon actually wore her socks into the into the lumpectomy surgery. So that's really cool. I'm going to link to that so people can uh, can check it out. And and where can listeners find you on social media? Uh, I am Keek Animal on Instagram and Twitter. Um, Keek Animal is a nickname I got in high school for being like a, you know, hard driving, like, come on, let's do this team. Um, so Keek Animal, and then I'm Keek and Randall on Facebook and uh, keekin.com is the, is the easiest place. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. This was wonderful. And just, you know, I think we throw around the word inspiration and cancer kind of all the time. Um, and but, but this truly truly is motivating and inspirational and I think will provide a little bit of light for anyone who's going through something hard right now. And that's, and sadly, it's, it's a lot of people. It is, you know, it's never, never a world I knew I was going to be a part of. Um, but now that I'm in it, um, I see how, how much it affects so many people, but there is, um, there is a lot of hope and inspiration, um, and community as a part of it. And, uh, you know, I knew I wanted to be open about my experiences. I was going through it. I kept a video blog for 160 days. Um, and being able to share that with the world kind of helped me find meaning in what I was kind of persevering through every day. And, uh, and I think that's another um, piece of advice I'd give is we often want to be really like private um, about what we're going through, but you never know that by being open about how you, you know, how you're tackling these challenges or what's hard, sometimes you end up inspiring someone else along the way. Absolutely. Thank you so much. That was just wonderful. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Keegan Randall. There is so much to take from this conversation, but what really hit home for me was when she said, uh, when she talked about not having mediocre days. So often we all get caught up in the day-to-day, -day, the stress of our day, our busy lifestyles, and we don't always stop to enjoy and find meaning in what we're doing. And I think that her mindset and perspective really is so, so important for all of us as we go through our days and live our lives. As always, you can find me at Dr. Toplinski on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you enjoyed this episode, I would be very grateful if you can leave a rating and a review over on Apple Podcasts as that is the best way to help me grow the show and bring it to new listeners. I hope that you are all enjoying the holiday season so far, staying safe, continuing to wear masks. Have a great weekend, and I will see all of you next week.